Educators, it's season three. Join us this season as we talk to ed tech professionals, thought leaders in education, principals, teachers, students, and so many more with an interest in the educational outcomes of the next generation. If you're interested in learning more about our educational model in San Mateo, California, we will have an open house at UP Academy on October 15th for our elementary and newly opening middle school. You can learn more on our website at upacademysf.com. Students at UP Academy are respectful innovators who show their inner and outer vibrance and strength and approach the world with empathetic action. Enjoy this episode and keep resisting tradition and innovating education. Welcome, Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Mandy Rice. Mandy was a classroom teacher for 10 years when she discovered by flipping her classroom, she got a 91% passing rate in her AP class. She works with teachers who crave a student-centered classroom by giving them the tools to get exactly what they want, which is a classroom culture of student accountability, innovation, and growth. She is the founder of Teach on a Mission, where she advocates and empowers educators to take back their classroom and to maintain the necessary boundaries of personal and professional lives. Her YouTube videos have over a million views, and she's the host of the Sustainable Teacher Podcast. Welcome, Mandy. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'd love to hear more about your work and what you're doing, especially right now. I feel like the pandemic has been such a wild ride that's definitely not over. And teachers are leaving the profession now in droves. I see them leaving mid-year. I see so many posting looking for jobs for next year. So how does your work help them to overcome the fatigue and the overwhelm that so many of our educators are feeling right now? and really help to make teaching a more sustainable career. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of joke, um, but not joke, that I really was talking about this stuff before 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I really was talking about engaging and empowering your students to be more accountable for their learning, all while making a more sustainable daily teaching life for the educator in the room, right? Um, so yeah, I really was talking about it before then, but it's it's become even, even more important now. And as much as um, my business, I started with the intention of teaching teachers, right? Give, providing professional development around the flipped classroom. I realized that there was a deeper need and that was the sustainability, right? The, the attempt at work-life balance helping us to be present at home and in our personal lives, but also still effective in the classroom and finding a good balance between those things so that we still love what we do. And I think that's what a lot of teachers are finding out right now is that I don't necessarily want to leave teaching, but man, I I can't do anything else. And it's just dragging me down personally. So Teach on a Mission, we at the core, whether it's on our podcast or in any of our programs, the deepest that you can really go in making change in your mindset and perspective. And this is what we talk on, on all of those levels. And then taking action from there, we're, we're talking about what a teacher can do from their mindset and perspective, things that they can control. So for instance, in our sustainable teacher challenge, which is a free program that we offer all teachers, we talk about starting with the basics of making our day sustainable 
And that starts with why you're even in this career in the first place. And it's how we can get back to that place of enjoying the everyday tasks of our job. So that's kind of like the the bird's eye view. Um, And then we offer some different programs. For instance, Flip Classroom Formula, the online course where we're offering graduate credit. Actually, when teachers take that, they're flipping their classrooms and then can earn grad credit for the work that they do in their classroom, which is great. And then we also have multiple sustainable teacher memberships for specific content areas. And those for right now, AP psychology, because that's what I taught, right? That's where I can provide some value. And then um, another teacher has come on the team providing a membership to AP biology teachers. And the thought there is to remove some items from their to-do list, like creating slides, creating notes, even they can even use our flipped videos if they want to, they don't have to, um, creating tests and assessments. And then they, the teacher then can feel confident in their course and get back to engaging with kids, building relationships with kids. So through your courses, and I want to understand a little bit more about how they work. So, you know, you're working with teachers and controlling the things they can control. So is this working through some of almost executive functioning skills of how to time block your day and lay things out so that you are making space and time for yourself along with all the duties and things that you have to do? I guess. And then the next piece of that, like, are you working with teachers on kind of how to manage up as well and how to push back against principals and administration around the time that it takes to plan and create five to seven hours of presentations and lessons a day? Every single day. (laughs) Every single day. It's a lot. Absolutely. Um, uh, Assistant superintendent I used to work with said that if you think of a lawyer, and the when they are quote on stage or when they're performing, right? Which their stage is the courtroom. They're on stage probably 10% of the time and 90% of their work is preparing to be on stage. And for teachers, that's flipped, right? It's flipped. We are on stage and performing 90% of the time. And I would argue that that's just not sustainable in and of itself, at least not in the way that 100% of that amount of time that we're on stage is going to be huge and glamorous and Pinterest worthy, right? Um, And that's something that I work with teachers on too, that, you know what, you just being available to your students during class time and not having something scheduled every once in a while, that's okay. You want to be intentional with that time um, and making sure that, you know, it doesn't become a classroom management issue. Um, but getting back to answering your question. Yeah, we, we talk about that with teachers and kind of the executive functioning thing. A big thing that we focus on is going from your why and why you're teaching, which a lot of teachers don't develop that. I hadn't, or at least I thought I did. Um, and I kind of found it later on but then acting from that space. So look at the list of extra things you have in your career, all things that you have said yes to, to a certain extent, maybe not everything. Is there anything there that's not serving you or doesn't really meet up with why you wanted to become a teacher and is fueling you every day, right? It's finding that balance between teaching is your job. It's a four-letter word. It's work, right? It's finding a balance between that and things that wake you up in the morning and are like, yes, I can't wait to do this today. Kind of finding a balance between both of those so that it fuels you making it past the five-year like average rate of a teacher's lifespan, right? <laughs> in education, heaven forbid, we make it 30, 35 years to retirement. 
Yeah. I feel like so often a school year feels like a 10 month sprint and then two months of literally laying on the track and catching your breath and then standing up and doing that 10 month sprint again. And so how do we work together as leaders, as administrators, as families, as students, as managing expectations so that our teachers can run that marathon, right? And continue going and get fueled when they need to and keep moving forward and keep being excited about what they're doing. Yeah, I really like that analogy and something that I would add to that. And honestly, something that's been kind of percolating my brain recently, and I have mentioned it in an upcoming podcast is why does it have to be a marathon? Why or not? A, well, why does it have to be a sprint? Really? Like it's like a sprint marathon. If you ask me, <laughs> it's like the longest sprint of your life. And I feel like we're teaching almost subconsciously to our students that learning has to be this like cram in your brain, get it in as fast as you can and prove that you know it in authentic ways. And not that I have an answer there. It's just me kind of being open and sharing an interest or something that's been kind of bouncing around in my, <laughs> my brain lately um, is what are we teaching kids through that too? It's just like, it's a cultural thing. We feel like it has to be that way because it always has been, but maybe, maybe that is where we could, could have some change in the future. Yeah. I think there's definitely space for flexibility. And it's one of the things I've had conversation with around learning loss as well. This mm-hmm. idea of this is what you learn in this grade, in this day, during this month. And we weren't in school then. So we lost it. You know, as if we can never learn that any other time or place, right? Yeah. Like, it, and this is the K to twelve system is the only place that we really look at education in that way. When you look at college and when you look at beyond, you know, you can go back to college at any age. If you didn't go mm-hmm. to college right after high school and you didn't take biology one hundred and one when you were eighteen years old, like there's still time. That wasn't the moment and the time and place and the only time that you could possibly do that. Right. So why do we create this kind of alternate reality for K to 12 that you must learn this on this day at this time during this month in this grade when you're this old? Yeah. And then if it doesn't happen, we call it learning loss. It's like extreme tracking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like, hey, you lost, you lose. Moving on. But yeah, we haven't lost any. Like, there's so many other things that we've learned through this time period. And yeah, maybe we didn't learn about the Revolutionary War during the second semester of our eighth grade or whenever that's supposed to happen in the curriculum. But maybe we saw Hamilton on TV and maybe we did. Maybe it was just different. Yep. You know, but we need to really rethink this concept of the expectations and the demands that we place on our students and on our educators to make that happen. And how can that become more fluid and flexible? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, I feel like that's an equity issue too for any reason that a child can't be like on track according to the system and they just lose out because they're not. Yeah. That's a good point. That's got my wheels turning now too. Yeah. I mean, that brings up a whole host of other things, right? That the pandemic laid bare in a lot of ways. And so now everybody has these challenges because we all missed, but for kids that have ongoing trauma or single parents that are struggling to get their kids to school and work or you know, all of the issues around technology and being able to be connected. There's so many equity issues on so many levels. Yes, absolutely. If we could make all of it a little bit more flexible and fluid, it would allow for life, yeah, (laughs) life for our teachers and life for our students. Absolutely. And I think that really comes down to 
the content and and we could put that into the phrase of like the course itself that they have to have to in order to move on right so that it's not called learning loss but that course or that content and what makes up that course and the teacher making it more accessible so that it can be fluid but oftentimes when we do that that's at the sacrifice of the teacher's well-being right so we've got to find that happy medium of content is accessible outside of a live breathing human being <laughs> because they can make themselves to an extent and their expertise and even a bit of their personality and how they teach they can make that available to people outside of the 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. school day or whatever the school day is right and that's a big thing that i'm trying to advocate especially to teachers is that you guys could be teachers could be on the front edge of this by making your content accessible to your students who are in person or who are reporting in remotely or absences are through the roof. Like, what are we doing about those? Right? Well, let's make our content accessible to them, which brings in a whole other topic that, especially in the public school system, if we're not doing that, Kids are going to find an option outside of the school system, right? They're going to find an option if they have the parents advocating for that, right? And if they don't, they're just going to be deemed lost, like the the learning loss. Yeah. So part of this, as educators are looking at ways to structure their time, ways to make content available in different ways and maybe outside of the typical school day. In a lot of ways, that can feel even more demanding on educators because they're creating more things, they're available more hours, it's different timing. So how can schools really help educators build their own emotional intelligence so that they can create those boundaries between professional and personal, and they really can do their best work when they're face-to-face with students? Yeah, I think this is um, bigger than any one teacher, any one administrator. And I can't necessarily speak from the administrative perspective, although I am married to one. And so maybe I can a little bit. <laughs> My husband's a high school principal. But I, I think this, well, let me let me reference this first. There was a recent article um, in Forbes and I'm, I'm blanking on the title. Well, the title was something along the lines of an education crisis of epic proportion is essentially headed our way if we don't do something about it. And what I liked about the article was that it talked about kind of like what we were talking about earlier, a lawyer being on stage only 10% of the time. And you know, a lot of the time can be used to fuel that and that it's flipped for teachers. But what the article was talking about was what it really takes and how valuable an emotionally prepared or stable teacher is and the impact that that can have on a student. So think of an athlete and how we all like marvel at the work that they put in, in order to show up day after day, right? The physical therapy, all of the different therapists that they have helping them physically, right? The nutritionists and a physician, they have, you know, talking about top of the top athletes, they have all of that to prepare them for their peak. Now, I'm not saying that teaching is like being an Olympic athlete, <laughs> although maybe we could argue that someday, but there's something there that has got to be provided for teachers. And like I was saying, I think that to solve that issue, that's bigger than any one group of admin or teachers. 
But I think any one administrator or teacher has got to start talking about it to within their school, right? Start those conversations around even something as daring and bold as to say, why do we only have one bell off, right? And I'm kind of talking from the context of a high school teacher, or why do we only have one 30-minute special that we get a break from our kids? Or why do we only have three in-service days throughout the entire school year to you know, provide time to teachers or time in professional development? And I think it's going to take some creativity because kids need to be in school, right? With 180 days or however many hours, whatever it looks like in the state where you're you're teaching. But we've got to start thinking outside the box. And I think it all kind of relates too to this idea of a sprint through the school year. And maybe it doesn't have to be a sprint. And that's what's going to make learning more authentic and manageable for everyone involved. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to challenge even those basic notions. Like, do students need to be in school 180 days? or however many hours. Like, where did this come from? Is that really a necessity? Yeah. Are we looking at content and courses? Are we looking at capabilities? Where do we really want them to be? If we want them to fulfill a number of hours and just have their butt in a seat, that's one thing. If we want them to learn and be capable, competent citizens of the world, that's a different Mm -hmm. goal. Maybe we can challenge even those most fundamental ideas that we have about school. I love the idea of like, how do we look at more prep time? And it kind of goes back to my question earlier of, you know, are we talking to teachers about managing up and managing those expectations and pushing back for some of these things within the schools so they can have more time? Because more time leads you to be able to be creative. It leads the ability to create better experiences for students and that ability to be emotionally available for students. Yeah. And to explore the world around you and how incredibly fast it's changing so that when you go to teach something like a history teacher, right, teaching hundreds of years of history has something to relate it to today. Right. Um, Or a science teacher is seeing a new trend like we have honeysuckle in our area. That's a parasitic something or other. Um, I wish I were a science person, but I'm not. Um, But like having the the time to know about those things in cool ways. Yeah. To just explore the world around you so that you can get excited about things too. And are not just drowning in the rat race, the sprint that is the school year. I think part of the joy of teaching is that constant learning, like what you're saying, constantly being able to explore and understand so that you can share that knowledge. Yes. And not all the time does a teacher's learning have to be education specific. It can be content specific too, or it can be completely unrelated (laughs) if you really want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I took up the piano before the pandemic, completely unrelated to anything else I'm doing, but wanted to learn something new, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So going back to the Olympic athlete analogy and talking about all of the support people that an elite athlete has with nutritionists and therapists and coaches and trainers and you know, psychologists and the team, right? Also the team Mm -hmm, around mm -hmm. them of colleagues and peers that are also competing for the same thing. So working with while competing against. So if you look at that analogy more deeply, who would be the support people or who do you think teachers would say they need the most that they're not getting right now? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think 
in my own experience and from what I've heard from other teachers is where the line of being a teacher stops and um, the line of being a counselor or psychologist starts, right? The, the line there. And that is not just one of how to best care for the child, but there's some liability there too, and making sure that we are doing the absolute best for any of our children and the supports that they absolutely need. So I would say clarification on that line <laughs> would be ideal. And yeah, the, the emotional support for our students through other professionals would be absolutely key. And I feel like it's kind of two-pronged, right? Like the support of a teacher and I, I, I hate saying this because I feel like it's always been said, but maybe because it's always been said, we should start, pardon my language, freaking listening to it. But teachers are, have always asked for time. They've always asked for time. And a teacher is oftentimes deemed as, well, maybe that's because you're not able to manage your time better, right? Well, maybe that time could be spent teaching our kids emotional health, right? Maybe it could be spent teaching our kids self-care habits. And maybe our teacher, any one teacher, isn't the best person to be teaching that. Yeah, I'm kind of like thinking on that more and more. And I think this conversation is also indicative of that. I don't know any, I don't know if you know anyone, but no one really has the answers right now. But I think we have to be open to so many aspects of the conversation and more so than just teachers burning out as we find answers. My worry is that teachers who are not ready in the regard of having their content accessible and able and willing to, in sustainable ways, teach students from multiple avenues are not going to be employed without like triggering anyone. My worry is that if teachers aren't trained on how to adapt, kids are going to go elsewhere because we're so stuck. The system is so stuck in 180 days, sprint, go. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it brought up other questions and we've seen that over the past couple of years with millions of kids leaving the school system and now thousands of teachers leaving the school system as well. Mm -hmm. You should be very busy in your work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it makes me think of my own kids too. Like, man, what, what is this going to mean for them when they go to high school? Because I, I do think that the constructs of like early education and that time with kids is so, so important. I don't necessarily have research to back that up, just my kind of educator and mothering experience. But I do think the first place that we may see more fluidity is in the high school level. Yeah, I think you're right. And part of that is because those students don't need to be watched as closely. Like elementary school is, it's a place of learning and it's a place of development and it's a foundational piece of our educational system. But these parents also need essentially the childcare of elementary school. Like those kids need to be in school because parents need to be doing something else. And if parents aren't able to watch them and the school becomes a fluid space of in and out, mm -hmm. then there has to be another person who takes on that childcare responsibility. And so I think you're right. We'll see more fluidity in middle school and high school first, mm -hmm. although we're definitely seeing shifting methodologies in elementary school as well. Yeah, definitely. But I'd love to hear a little bit more deeply about your work. If you have an example or a case study of where an educator really shifted their mindset 
changed the way they ran their classroom and built a new kind of classroom that was a greater experience for their students, but also allowed them more sustainability and happiness. Yes, absolutely. So I have tons of examples um, and I actually have a, a page on my website, which I can send to you. Um, it's just teachonamission.com slash teachers. And it has a bunch of different stories of teachers on there. And our podcast does that too. And I'm going to reference one particular episode. So this teacher who came to mind as I was kind of looking at this question is Carrie Tafiro. And I interviewed her on episode 21 of my podcast, Sustainable Teacher is what that's called. And I love, 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 love Carrie's story. So she and I worked together to get her classroom flipped, right? So she took my online course, Flip Classroom Formula, and she flipped her seventh and eighth grade math classes. And the main story that I want to tell you, which is indicative of the overall change that happened, is with one of her students who is on an IEP and oftentimes was meeting with Carrie throughout her flipped classroom to make sure that she was able to stay caught up, right? Well, Carrie's having a conversation with another one of her students who is not on an IEP and would be deemed a, quote, typical student, right? And this student is struggling. Carrie's working with them and and all that and says, hey, I think I feel like you should go back and you should watch this video, whatever video it was. Well, the first student, one who is on an IEP, heard this and later came up to Carrie and said, Mrs. Tafiro, this is her words. You just told that normal student who normally is doing really well that they need to do the same thing that I need to do in order to learn well. And that was really cool. That was really cool for me to see that this strategy is just a good learning strategy. It doesn't make me a a worse learner than everybody else. And the fact that they had access to do that, the fact that the seventh grader had the insight to see what was happening there and that it lifted her up in that way was just so incredibly awesome. Carrie actually set out to flip her classroom because she wanted to change her students' perspective around the fact that math is, quote, hard or that they are, quote, bad at math, right? Um, She said, and she says this in the episode too, she says, a lot of my students, most of my students come to me with experiences, right? Pre-existing notions and experiences surrounding math, and they just are rooted. Their heels are dug into the fact that they're bad at it. And because I flipped my classroom, my students were not only able to go at their pace, right? Spend time on and go at their pace through the content of math. But then it opened up class time for her to have those authentic conversations with her students, sometimes every single day, right? A conversation with every kid every single day so that she was able to kind of motivate and fuel them and show them, look, you're doing this so well. Look at how great you're doing this. And so those authentic connections that happen in her classroom, simply because she flipped or for a better way of describing it, made her content accessible outside of her, those connections are changing lives in her classroom. I was very honored to witness that and to to hear her story. I just, I love it. (laughs) Thank you for that. I run a small elementary school. And so I love to hear people's stories of from when they were in elementary school. So I'd love if you could share something that you remember from your elementary school years. Um, This is hard. (laughs) This is really hard. I have a few. Um, I remember like getting glasses, (laughs) 
because I was that little girl. <laughs> um, I remember in, this is funny because this just came to mind. I was struggling to like come up with an answer to this one. But I was in music class and um, you know how you have like the three tiered stands so that everyone can project, right? Well, we laid those down and use it as like an impromptu stage. And she was teaching like acting or impromptu. And I was sweating nervous, <laughs> like, like big, my palms were sweaty, everything. And, um, you had like your, your little slip of paper that told you what you're supposed to do. And I got up on stage and I just did it. And I was a kid who didn't talk very much. I was really shy in elementary school and something about her classroom and how warm and welcoming and accepting that teacher was. And this is my adult self in hindsight, looking at that situation, right? as a very timid, shy little girl was able to, at least in that moment, come out of my shell a little bit. And afterwards feel like, Oh, I did it. And not everybody's not laughing or like judging me for it. And okay. That was cool. Moving along about my day with a bit more confidence. So that's the one story that I have. (laughs) That's great. Um, So how, how can listeners get in touch with you or how can they learn more about what you do? The best way would be on our podcast, Sustainable Teacher Podcast, but also on our website, which is teachonamission.com. And I'm also on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook under that that tag as well, um, or uh, handle Teach on a Mission. Great. Well, thank you so much, Mandy. This was a great conversation. Yes. Awesome. And I think that's what it's about, right? Conversations, having open conversations about not just doing what's best for students, but doing what's best for teachers, because that equals what's best for students. Yeah, we have to support the teachers so that they can support the students. And, you know, like you said, we we don't have all the answers, but by having conversations and asking the questions, hopefully we can start to figure some things out. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. Rebel Educators.